Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Liberty Church B-Side Podcast. I'm Steve King, and alongside me is Matt Luloyan. Matt, welcome to another week's show. Yeah, always good to be here. Thanks, yeah. Steve. Yeah, we're excited to have our guest with us today. It's Todd Stry. Tide, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Matt. It's good to be here. Yeah, Todd, you are a counselor with CCEF, and for those of us, um, or anyone that's not, that's listening from our church, maybe you have listeners outside of our church too, that are unfamiliar with CCEF and yourself, maybe just take 60 to 90 seconds, catch us up on who CCF is, the work that you do as a counselor with that organization, maybe in just a quick snapshot of your background before we jump into uh, today's show with you as our, our special guest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so the CCEF, it's short for the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. We've been around as an institution for probably around 50 years. And um, and some of the, what are the foundational names have been David Paulison and Ed Welch and, and Mike Emlett. And I've been a part of that organization since probably around 2005. And uh, mostly as a, a contract counselor while I was in school, getting my MDiv and then getting my doctorate in psychology. And then uh, in 2013, after I graduated, I came on as a faculty and I teach some classes. I do counseling, some some writing and supervising. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're, we're really excited and, and grateful to have you spending time with us today. Uh, Matt, yesterday... Um, in the sermon, we're walking through Mercy and Justice Month here at Liberty Church, and yep. so each week we have a um, our sermon is and our worship is devoted to a certain topic, a specific topic related to mercy and justice. Yesterday was sexual fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, just catch us up on really some main points from yesterday. We're going to talk about that obviously in the broadcast today, but sure. a little bit about what yesterday's sermon was about. And why we're excited to have Todd here as a guest contributing to our, our, our episode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in addition to being um, a CCEF counselor, uh, we've gotten to know Todd a little bit over the years, although mainly from, from a distance. Um, so even just even personally, relationally, Todd is uh, the brother-in-law of Jen and David White, who are founding members. Uh, True even, story. Even before we launched services here, instrumental to the founding of, of our uh, of our church of Liberty Harrisburg. Um, so we've got to know Todd a little bit from a distance that way. And then um, uh, several of us got to go down to a CCEF conference several years ago and got to hear Todd speak at a breakout there, which was fantastic. Um, and then in addition, um, Todd and his family are part of a church called Bridge Community Church just outside of Philadelphia. And uh, Bridge is actually uh, entered into, joined into the Liberty family of churches recently. So um, actually, you know, we've, we've, we're actually blessed to have some, some solid counselors that are part of our, our Liberty Church family here. Uh, adding Bridge to the Liberty family of churches has, like, in, has seriously increased our counseling game, too, with having, like, these CCF. We've got Todd and, like, Ed Welch now that are, like, part of our, of our broader church Our counseling family. game is strong right now. The CCF connection is okay. really helpful there, man. That's, a, that's great stuff. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so, so like Steve said, Todd, great to have you. And, um, just to answer what Steve, what you were saying about, yeah, so yesterday we talked a little bit about sexual fidelity. 
Um, that's a that's a term that that I at least personally like. It, it's um, if what we read in scripture is often the negative, uh, sexual immorality, um, this really broad Greek term that would mean anything that would go against God's design, a good design for sex and sexual expression. Um, I think it's also helpful to have a flip side of, of just avoiding the negative. So sexual fidelity, you could call it sexual integrity. Um, just what, it, what does it mean to, what does it look like to live faithfully in light of God's design? Uh, and depending on what desires a person finds in himself, herself, um, depending on situation and station in life, that can mean different specific things. But the maybe overarching idea is, regardless of where I am in life, there is a way to live consistently, faithfully with the design of God. So that's sexual fidelity. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you did a really great job um, outlining that yesterday, presenting that with a lot of clear uh, truth and biblical truth. Um, and a topic that is really hard to fit into 30 minutes to talk about really. Sure. That's, and that's sure. the value of, of spending some additional time this morning with our B-Side podcast, Todd, having you with us just to unpack it a little bit more and to do so, um, not just from what everything you talked about in the sermon, although that could be its own series, but to kind of like, all right, make some application, um, for people in our church, Bible study groups, or anyone that's listening, just to go like, well, what do I, how do I now live in light of this truth? Mm-hmm. What do I do with this now? And where in society and culture can I expect to interact um, with this mercy and justice, justice topic? Yeah. Um, and can I get some resources and some insights to do that well? So Todd, that's why we're grateful to have you uh, with, with us to contribute to that right now. Yeah. And maybe to frame it just a little bit. Um, so yesterday, looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, talking about how Sexual fidelity has both a spiritual dimension. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. And then it also has a social dimension. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes there that we should not wrong or transgress our brothers in these matters uh, of sexuality. And so that's where um, maybe kind of focusing on that social aspect of things, there, there's multiple ways we can wrong our brothers and, in, and sisters in that um, directly through our own sexual sin, our own sexual immorality, the ways we we include and involve other people in that. And then even uh, indirectly by the way we interact with other people about about their sexuality. So maybe that's even kind of, we're narrowing in on, on one particular aspect a little bit here of where we were at yesterday and thinking, um, okay, so how do we interact with other people about their sexuality? So that's maybe the first place to be great to Todd to hear some of your thoughts on this. How have you observed, you know, whether you've been meeting with People that um, that are part of the LGBTQ community, uh, whether you've been, you know, in your own church experience, uh, other places, you can kind of draw from whatever is helpful here. But how have you observed churches struggling or succeeding in welcoming people who are part of an LGBTQ lifestyle, LGBTQ community? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, guys. Um, you know, just a. A caveat as I as I talk about these things, it's I'm not an expert in at least in in counseling this population, but but I could say there's there's a decent amount of competence in thinking about the helping process. So mm-hmm. so as I talk about this, this is so I'm thinking through the helping process and this and this lands on individuals who are um, who are in this population, but it but it also lands with most people in particular. Mm-hmm. So it, here's just a few thoughts on 
churches that are, I say, doing well, and churches that are that are more struggling in regards to this. Um, churches that are doing this well, that are that have a healthy stance, they tend to be doing two things at the same time. They tend to have a an ethical or a theological position that they've established amongst themselves as a church. Hmm. But there's a um, there's some standards that they've rallied around and are in agreement on. Hmm. That's one thing that they've done. But but then they've also done another thing, which is they've they've been able to intentionally talk about an active strategy of of ministry hmm. to let's say an lgbtq population hmm. so they've those two things are simultaneous or parallel hmm. a a common conviction an ethical standard but also very actively thinking about what what a strategic ministry outreach looks like hmm. and we could um, we could use then that as an opportunity to talk about churches that are struggling um, or less healthy, and hmm. and where that shows up is a church may have one of those, but not both. Huh. So so one of them would be, for example, they have a position. They've they have a strong understanding of their church's position on these issues ethically and theologically. Hmm. But if they don't have an active strategy, what happens is the their ministry or their outreach really is just stating again and again and again their position. Mm-hmm. So their their position becomes their posture or their ministry. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really work mm-hmm. ultimately. And then on the flip side, if somebody if if a church has gone all in on ministry. But they haven't done some of the hard work of coming up with a, um, a theological position or an ethical position in which the church is in agreement on. What that can do is that can actually dehumanize in a different way. It can hmm. it can remove us from repentance because we do, as hmm. as your church would agree, we we live in an ethical universe. God God has standards hmm. of how He has made the world, and so if we hmm. If we remove any semblance of sin or standards or ethical positions, then we remove the opportunity for re- repentance and redemption. Hmm. That's good. That's so that's that good. parallel. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that how you're thinking about that, Todd. In in that, um, especially through these lenses of mercy and justice, that um, that there are ways to um, to act very loving, which we want to act loving, but, but that also the love piece has to be built on that standard. That's something that's, that's deeper than that, or ultimately then it's, it's not loving. And there's actually a, with all good intent to try to be welcoming and hopefully we are welcoming, but, but, but maybe affirming in a blanket kind of way, then you end up actually leading people away from the truth. You actually end up doing them doing them wrong. <laughs> you end up, you end up not actually giving them what they're due as an image bearer of God, who also is then as a fallen human being, like all of us are need an opportunity to repent for whatever, whatever the, the sin is that we find in each of our, of our hearts. So that's, um, I really, yeah, I, I appreciate that. 
Um, Todd, are you are you also is are, do you have primarily in mind um, the people that would come to a church and then find and experience both those things? And so, or or is it even maybe it's both and it's it's also the the children that come up in a church um, and are learn and have to learn these things. Like, who's in your mind when you're thinking about? A church that's successful having both those things versus one who might have one of one of two or maybe they go over two. They don't have either. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Because if if somebody is in the church, let's say a a young adult um, is in the church and they find themselves struggling in this way, and they they have questions and they want. They want to figure some of this stuff out, but the the church's atmosphere, if the the culture is such that that they can read between the lines and know that the type of pastoral care or the type of ministry they're going to get is essentially a a proclamation of a position of what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. If they know that that's just how the church operates, mm-hmm. then it's then they're going to experience the same stiff arm mm-hmm. as somebody else who's coming from the outside, looking to to converse, to ask questions, to to meet God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really yeah. that's really helpful, really insightful. It's good. Um, and Todd, whether it's you personally or just what you guys are encountering there at CCEF. Um, as you talk to people about human sexuality, about gender, do you do you tend to talk more with people about their own struggles, or are there, are there people coming in to to ask and, and kind of say, "Hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm wrestling through in my own life," or do you tend to talk more to people who are relating to loved ones, family members, friends that are going through those struggles and wondering how do how do I engage in this? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's probably 50, 50 okay. around there Yeah, in my, in my own work, but also in conversation with other counselors at CCF, it, it tends to be a good combination of, of both of, mm. of, um, minors and young adults or yeah. adult children. And then on the flip side, families who are concerned mm-hmm. and worried and, you can imagine that the same, the same temptation that a church can have to, to in the middle of feeling threatened, let's say the theological purity, hmm. um, certainty of how the world works, um, those threats are going to, the temptation is to drive towards just a, a proclamation again of hmm. a position of what's right and what's wrong. Hmm. And, just like the church can do it, the parents or family members can use shame or anger or guilt. They can threaten, but but those are the tactics. That's the strategy again. That can be the most uh, reflexive, hmm. and and you often have kids then who, or even young adults who come who come to find basically a safe space to ask some of those questions mm-hmm. to try and explore what it means to, to experience gender and sexuality and, and identity and, and even the love of God. 
uh, in the middle of this conundrum and not really have the space or the relationship or the freedom to, to wrestle through that. Mm-hmm. So they often then come to counseling either to find it or to have that, um, maybe for the first time, have that type of experience. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where you can see that the goal of counseling is, is, is to help parents and family members see just as churches need to have a combination of both a, a position, but how that's different than a relationship. Mm-hmm. The relationship is the place in which a person is convinced or persuaded mm-hmm. or transformed. So it's, it's that same, uh, it's analogous mm-hmm. to what the church has to figure out is also what parents and family members have to come to grips with that in the middle of this threat, there is an opportunity to trust God and walk into creating space for, for their kids and their fa- other family members to, to think through it and to meet God in it. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's um, it, it reminds me as you're talking about that too, whether for churches or for, or for counseling, um, like we, we get questions about this sometimes at Liberty we have, um, and often it, it's, it's, uh, through our, our membership classes, our in covenant classes. Um, we have a, something called a statement on marriage, gender, and sexuality that, um, that is really a, meant to be a, a concise, um, explanation of what we understand scripture to teach on, on those things. And I, it's always, it's something that whether it's one of us leading it, uh, Steve or one of our other elders leading that membership class, one of the, the um, kind of qualifiers that we always offer when we share that document, we say, we, we think it's really important to not bait and switch people. So we want to as clearly and concisely as possible say, here's what we understand scripture to teach. We, we would never want you to feel like we were pretending otherwise on this or, or trying to kind of cloud that in, in some kind of language that just made it kind of like, I don't, I don't really know what you guys are saying. Um, and at the same time, what we say to people who go through our membership class or who, who find that statement or we send that statement to, we would say, please do not see this as like the manual for how to walk with people through incredibly yeah. complex and, and identity rooted kinds of issues <clears throat> like this. Like this, this right. is not, this is by no means like a, a manual or like a document just to hand someone that tells you that they're, that they're struggling with gender dysphoria, same sex attraction you know, that they identify as part of an LGBTQ lifestyle. Okay. It, it, you know, that would be like disastrous in my mind to say like, here's the, yeah. here's our, you know, that's the positional maybe thing that you were, um, you were describing there, Todd. So that's, I, that's, that's helpful. And I'm seeing even some parallels with at least our, our pursuit imper- yeah. imperfect as I, as I know it is, but, um, our pursuit of trying to do that as a, as a church here. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, it, what have you found Todd, maybe in that, um, Maybe thinking specifically toward families, maybe the parallels there to, to just church communities. What what are good ways then to specifically engage with people as they're wrestling with those deep things about their their sexual orientation, their gender identity? Um, how can a family member and or a, a person that's part of a church um, navigate that well? Create create an environment that's still rooted on truth, but that actually does show that kind of care and compassion simultaneously. Are there some like specific things that you would counsel family members maybe specifically on how to, how to do that? Yeah. And there's, there's two places 
that I'm thinking as you as you mentioned that, Matt. Um, first is just that it it deserves it to be said that we're thinking about these things, both how you guys as a church are doing this and how I'm talking about counseling families and, and kids. The, being able to hold both a position and to do active ministry, hmm. we we see that in the life of Christ. Because, for example, he he very much had hard words for greed hmm. and oppression hmm. and pride. And at the same time, he brings Zacchaeus hmm. into his his life, has a meal with him. Hmm. So there's this this combination of a very, very much a standard hmm. and yet a pastoral practice that, that does not keep these individuals at arm's length hmm. or talking about sexual sin and, um, and then being accused of being friends with gluttons and hmm. sinners. So hmm. you can just see how this, this, uh, this can exist simultaneously. And yeah. so we have the life of Christ as an example here. Yeah, that's good. Going to your practical question, and uh, I think my, so my colleague Ed Welch has stated sort of this, this Christ-like posture in this fashion. He's mm-hmm. talked about it as focusing on the good, the hard, and the bad in that order. Meaning that hmm. the the invitation, the welcoming, is really about our common human humanity, our similarities, hmm. the, the beauty, the resilience, the strength, the courage that these individuals share. That we are we are image bearers in that capacity, and highlighting that and forming a relationship around those things, hmm. and then the next sort of movement would be into the hard, meaning the sufferings and the trials and the tribulations, mm-hmm. them feeling known and understood and validated in the challenge mm-hmm. of their life mm-hmm. they've been through. <clears throat> and then only after those things have been established mm-hmm. that there's a common humanity and appreciation and being known both in the goodness of who they are as God's creation and the suffering that they've endured. When a person feels known and understood, do we have the opportunity then to talk about the bad, mm. the sin, God's standards and way and where it falls upon them and where the spirit is prompting them and where repentance shows up. Mm. But we can we can be <clears throat> tempted to put the bad as the beginning that we mm-hmm. we enter into the relationship with a call for repentance mm-hmm. when in fact the, the progression tends to be the good the hard and then the bad mm-hmm. and it can take a while to get to that bad mm-hmm. that's really helpful yeah it really is and i think really practical I, I can think of a number of folks in our church that that would benefit greatly just even from having that kind of approach broken down where they just get overwhelmed by oh my gosh, this person I love is now in this place and I want to navigate that with grace and truth, but, but how to actually, that's, that's really helpful, Todd. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Todd, what would you, well, how does, how does that apply in a, in the same way? Hmm. Or would you give some counsel or advice to 
to this question otherwise. Um, that very much has in mind, I think, the the person who, whether that's a parent or a friend, who is going to engage someone relationally who has this, this struggle, this sin. There's a dynamic to figure out between them. What about take go another step to the side of that person, others in the church that are trying to just have this be a common area of conversation, a place where others in the church can be can be comfortable raising their hand and saying, Hi, I am actually trying to I'm struggling to have this relationship with my child or with a friend and have that not be kind of this um hey, I don't want to go there with them. I don't want to I don't want to open up a relational dynamic where they're trying to trying to do this faithfully. I don't know what to do with that. Like I don't know how to, I don't know how to have these conversations. I'm not even dealing with it with my children or my friends, but I don't know how to help others deal with it with with their children or their friends. Like how do we hmm. how do you kind of create that environment across the the culture of the community as a whole where that can be done well? Hmm. And you talked about that Matt a little bit in your sermon yesterday. So I don't want to say you didn't, we didn't address that at all, but like Todd, I'd, I'd love to hear your 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 feedback on that. Hmm. Matt, why don't you give a a synopsis and then I'll riff off what, what you guys have already established there. Yeah. Are you thinking about um, maybe Steve, like the ways that we, in the indirect, like how yes. do we, how do we interact with, um, with people about their sexuality? How do we create environments that people feel like they, they could talk about that? That's right. That's and what, that's what I'm not, thinking of from what, what you said. Yes. So, yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, Liberty CCEF bridge community, like we run in similar circles and tribes where, where our, um, what we understand scripture to teach would land in the same or at least very similar places there. Um, so I think those other ways that the, the ways that we can commit injustice in a way we can, we can wound other people generally speaking are either rejection. We just, we just reject people. We keep them at an arm's length. Um, or what I would call blanket affirmation where we just, we have, we affirm everything that person wants us to affirm about, how they see their gender identity, how they want to express their sexuality. Um, I think both of those um, are wounding and damaging and, and wronging people made in the image of God in different, in different ways. Um, so we didn't get into a ton of specifics yesterday about how to create an environment to do that. The one place that it was on my mind yesterday coming out of conversations with people that are part of our church that do have, and I think that's maybe even a baseline would be really important for people to know that um, this is not like a hypothetical. Someday there might be people who it's I, I, no, actually um, I wouldn't say it's a it's a it's a large percentage of people at our church, but it has always been some number of people at our church in any given moment um, who are per- currently present moment wrestling with saying I'm only attracted to people of the same gender. I experience gender dysphoria. I feel like I was born the wrong biological sex that that's a um that's a reality current current reality so um the one maybe uh, example i gave yesterday was just in conversations and relationships with some of those folks who've been gracious enough to open up about that with me and other leaders here at the church um conversations joking in places like bible study groups coffee hour well-meaning people that just aren't thinking necessarily with those lenses on in a given moment and just would say something not carefully, um, not necessarily hatefully, but, but also not carefully, Mm -hmm. um, harshly, um, 
you know, making some comment about how our culture is just going down the toilet in, in these, in these regards. Um, but not nuancing that with any sense of like the people that they're actually broad brushing in yes. that statement. Right. So like, it's, yeah. it's stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe Todd, there's a place in there that you go, yeah, definitely keep doing that or no, like don't do it that way. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that, that'd be great to hear. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good foundation. And so Steve, just, just talking about this, maybe as in terms of a principle, I think this, this is a place to land is that silence equals sort of taboo and forbidden. And if it can't be voiced or it's not ever voiced, then, um, then there's really no, there's no cultural or atmospheric, um, opportunity there. Uh, Hmm. I'll put it this way. So the church has a lot of power to shape culture, both Hmm. in the church itself, but it, but it will, it will bleed into family culture. And so if the church Hmm. can, can find a way in which to speak about these things out loud, Hmm. comfortably, understandably, compassionately, um, without, without hedging or, using proper language, all of that creates a culture in which if the pastor and the elders and liturgies are not afraid to use these words and to talk about this stuff, then families also will take on that same, uh, that same boldness and comfort level with, these are human problems. We can talk about them. We don't have to run from them. Mm-hmm. We face them head on with the love of Christ the mercy of God. So as these things are voiced and talked about up front, it tends to bleed into what happens in church conversations, what happens in family conversations. And it, it allows families to see and individuals to see that you can talk about this and it doesn't need to be, um, it doesn't need to be happening only in the, in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. That's well said. That's yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Todd, maybe just piggybacking on that a little bit. Um, do you, um, if, if the two kind of general wounds indirectly is, you know, either rejection of people or blanket affirmation, do you, in, in, in some of the, the circles and tribes that we run and do you see more of one of those things than the other? Do you see, churches and families, individuals more falling off the edge of the cliff on the blanket affirmation side or on the rejection side. Yeah. And you guys are probably, you, you're probably seeing this as well, but the, the tendency really is to, to fall off on the, the rejection side mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's not to say that the, one of them is better as we've talked about before, both are dehumanizing Mm -hmm. one taking away opportunity for, for us to live in a, a, an ethical universe living Mm -hmm. before the face of God. The other is to, um, to be kept at arm's length from the people of God. But I've heard it said something like this, that, um, you, you don't help a banished or marginalized people, by continuing to banish or keep them at arm's length. Hmm. 
So it's just a, it's a helpful way of thinking of people that are already feeling pushed or rejected or stigmatized. Um, the way that we help them can't be just through a, a position that again creates separation yeah. and yeah. difference. That's good. That's really good. Now we had a question come in from um, from a listener. Yeah, <laughs> uh, from someone who attended the sermon yesterday. So let me read this question. Yeah, um, I want to invite your response to it, Todd. See if you we we do invite questions, Todd. Just to catch you up on that uh, from our uh, our congregants each week. This one came in, and, and Matt, I'll read the question here as it came in. So when you were saying that there's one who loves you and one who hates you, and you have to choose who it is, or something like that, along that lines, may I have you clarify in a moment? I, I wonder what you meant because that sounds a little. Armenian. Um, I know we're not robots, but you get into the whole free will question too there. Maybe um, we're, we got this question right before the podcast. Nice. So uh, maybe yeah. I'd, I'd invite you to kind of run that through your filter and memory of that portion. Maybe a quick um, summary of what you were saying, clarify any yeah. question itself. Well, if it sounds Armenian, that's because I'm Armenian. <laughs> that's right. Everything I say sounds Armenian. That's my last name. That's my heritage. Like, but if it's Armenian that they're talking about, that's the... Uh, Oh, that, you know, well, they, well, they wrote Armenian. You know, I'm reading it. Well, this is uh, okay. I, I'm caught in the moment. No, this question came in just as the podcast started, so I didn't even get a chance to read through it. They wrote Armenian, but I think they meant Armenian. Taking shots at my heritage now, uh, listeners. What's going on? Out listen, here? man. If, a, if you're yeah. not Dutch, you ain't much. Right? And I think Todd would agree with me on that. Okay, right, so here we go. Um, no, that's great. That's um, true. It sounds a little Arminian. No, that's good. Um, but I, maybe clarify the question as you read it, hear it, give some yeah. synopsis of what you were talking about at that point. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really good... I, I, I kind of anticipated that there were going to be questions from yesterday. I mean, I yeah. guess that could come anywhere. But um, that was maybe the, the boldest statement. So just to put it in, in its context, it was talking about, and even in this lens of injustice... Um, Often the, the charge leveled against Christians, the church, the God we worship is that we're hateful because of the narrowness of our views. I think it's important to say, a, apart from the views themselves, we have often acted hatefully. We have often done that. So we want to own that and acknowledge that and, and apologize for things that we, where we've acted hatefully. Um, when we actually talk about the ethic itself, the actual moral outworkings of our, uh, what we understand scripture to teach about God's design for sex, um, the charge culturally is we're hateful. I think, I think increasingly with the, the stakes of this, particularly for younger generations, um, and the way they're being kind of left to figure just things out for themselves, um, I think in some ways it, it's, it can be helpful just to, to, Em, not embrace the charge, but to embrace that framework for a second and say, I understand you're charging my position with being hateful. I'm actually willing to meet you there and raise the stakes and say, someone does hate you and someone does love you. And I, and I mean, and when I said it yesterday, and maybe that needed more clarification, I meant that from a positional standpoint and what someone is, um, at the end of the day, <clears throat> leaving about, about things and what they're, in other words, cementing your views in, affirming you in or not affirming you in, um, the way that feels may or may not be loving or hateful. But but I'm talking about the positional side of that, saying it, underneath all of the uh, of the 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 relational side of this, positionally, there is love and there is hate. Someone is actually out to 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 for your good, and someone is out to destroy you. Now, I, I mean, we dive deeper into that. 
we're talking about God's agenda for your life. And, you know, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against Satan and prince, evil, evil principality. So like that, that's the ultimate battle we're talking about yeah. there. It, yeah. it, each of those voices find expression through, through human beings and, and systems and churches and things like that. So um, that's maybe the, the background and framework. Uh, remind me of where this question was going. What am I not answering in that question, Steve? No, I think I think that's I think that is most of the answer. I think some of the the, the add-ons to the question of how it does or doesn't sound Armenian. I think there's a the way you, the way you're explaining it. I think the way you meant it didn't have as much to do with your relation to God and how you come about faith in God. Um, and where free will would, would factor into that. Maybe. Yeah. So I'm not sure if there's so just some confusion. So on, or... on that piece, I guess I would, yeah, if it, it's more, I'm thinking there more broadly as, as, as people who are receiving messages from the Christian church, from society, all these inputs underneath any of the sexual ethic that's out there is an agenda for your life. That whole first Thessalonians four passage, yeah. God's will is your sanctification. That's <clears> his agenda for your life. <laughs> is to cleanse you from things that sin destroys and pollutes yeah. and corrupts. So I guess maybe it sounded Arminian to say you have to choose. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. I would still say you still have to choose. Like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to negate in any way the sovereignty of God and calling people to himself. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking for, for any one of us sitting in uh, a confused cultural landscape sexual from a sexual and gender standpoint, Hearing these mixed messages, you, you have to make a choice of what you're of who you're going to believe, yeah. of who actually loves you and who actually is out for your destruction yeah. underneath those messages. Yeah, that, that's, that's where I mean it from there. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's well explained, and that's you know underneath those messages. And Todd, I want to come to you with a question, uh, you know, related to this. So yeah, underneath those messages, if we dig down deep in there, we find that it's Satan who's actually he is hateful toward that person or toward us yeah. truly. And in that moment, he's the one that is hateful. But between that person and Satan, there's like these layers of other people yep. that um, that don't, they would not say, no, I'm not, I'm actually not hating you. I'm affirming you because I love you. So then that, that, that gets into this argument of like, which is, which is actual love? Where do we find truth? Where root in? Todd, I want to maybe come to you. I want to take this question as Matt just even talked about it, kind of bring it to your perspective and invite it. How, what would be the the counsel you'd give to someone or the, the the parent, the friend who's working with a child or or another friend and going, how do I help this person see that the one in their life that is quote unquote affirming them and making them encouraging them to pursue this feeling, um, even if that feeling is rooted deeply in in their flesh and they just cannot escape it, how do I help this person see that that affirmation that supposed love they're feeling from someone else is actually not love that it's, 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 it's going to do more harm for them in the long run and the short term than it will good. Maybe I wouldn't call it hate right away, but it's like, it's just not going to do any good for them. From your perspective, how do you, how do you engage that conversation? This, this may not be, this might be a little bit, um, controversial but change is usually not won in in battles regarding positions or hmm. or your your child or your friend 
what will ultimately move them or where God will be shown is, is often going to be your steadfast love, which mirrors God's steadfast love. That's where our positions will probably be the most convincing. And in trying to do a lot of the, the apologetic or the, um, trying to do the work in terms of the battle of, of worldviews and positions, mm-hmm. uh, it, it works really well, like in the abstract. But when you really get down to the individual level of the person, uh, they, they are going to be convinced. Mm-hmm. They're going to be transformed. They're going to be moved in relationship and in the experience of steadfast love. So mm-hmm. it's not to say that these theological positions aren't important. As you can hear, we need them. We mm-hmm. ourselves as ambassadors of Christ, we need to have a grounding in why we're doing what we're doing and what the, the ethics of God's kingdom are. Mm-hmm. But when we start to do the, the business of, um, of ministry, it just it, it tends to be less effective to try and do it in the realm of ideas. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. Sounds like. I mean, tell me, tell me if at the end of that or part of that is it sounds like an encouragement for people that are in what feels like the struggle of that relationship right now to have a long view and and to remain committed to the love they're demonstrating for someone just as God does for us. I mean, the, 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 our, our own passion, our own fuel for that for others is, is seeing that God does that for us. And so mm-hmm. we, can, we can grieve, I think, quickly of the, um, the brokenness that exists in a relationship with a, a parent to a child. It's a great example of like, you know, wait, waiting for a child to, to repent and turn back to God. And the fear that comes from a parent with a young child or any child of any age that's starting to wrestle with these things and go, oh no, well this, what will this lead to now? Will this lead to a couple conversations to, you know, get quote unquote on the right track again? Or will it lead to like just mm-hmm. this, this need that God's asking of me to present a steadfast love to my child or a friend to a friend for a period of time that is just unknown. And that's hard. And so the encouragement is to, to take the long view of that love and also be fueled by how God does that for us. Cause we are, we are the, the sinners in rebellion toward God and he does not give up on us. Hmm. Yeah, Steve, I couldn't, I couldn't say it any better. You, you nailed it. That's, hmm. that really is just the way it works. Yeah. Super humbling. That's all. I, I just, it is. yeah, super humbling approach, but it's good. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, let me, um, let me send it to you to, um, Maybe a final thought if you have one or just if you were to give a final encouragement to people listening yeah. uh, to the sermon yesterday, how they would apply this in relationships. Um, it couldn't be, it don't need to come up with anything super profound yeah. right now, but just a, a final word and and then uh, we'll sign off for today. Yeah. I I mean, just, just in light of this, I would say keep, keep um, talking about this. Keep, yeah. keep bringing this, you know, whatever, whatever, if you, you know, I'm grateful for questions like the one we got. Got a couple other um, text messages later in the day yesterday, just people asking follow-up questions. I think only good things come out of continued conversation about this. Um, certainly, we could have spent way longer than one Sunday in a Mercy and Justice Month unpacking this. We, we've tried to in other times before, but uh, but just would continue to invite that conversation. We, we really do want, I mentioned this yesterday, 
uh, before the when I kind of gave my PG thirteen warning for the day. Just right. that we really we really want liberty to always be a place where um, we can have appropriate um, but very open and honest conversation about about um, uh, um, topics of real life like sexuality and gender. So yeah. that'd be my encouragement. That's good. Well, yeah. thanks for the message yesterday, Todd. Thank you for for joining us today and and. Um, bring a, just adding a lot of value with your contributions and your yeah. insights, your expertise. We're grateful for you as a friend and a, and a, and a, a resource. Um, thanks for, for giving us time today to, to add to this podcast. We're really grateful for you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, Todd. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey, thanks, everyone, for listening and enjoy the rest of the week. And remember to uh, look forward to upcoming Sundays at Liberty Church and always sending questions as you have them uh, related to our messages this month in Mercy and Justice. And we move into our future sermon series as well. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk soon. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.